Hi, welcome to another Classical Uncovered podcast, presented by the Melbourne Recital Centre. My name's Graham Abbott. In the last few podcasts in this series, we've asked the question, what's so great about, and focused on a few of the big-name composers in the classical music world, Beethoven, Bach and Brahms. In this instalment, we home in on another familiar name and ask, what's so great about Schubert? Franz Schubert's life covered the first quarter of the 19th century, and sadly, not much more. He was only 31 when he died, but the catalogue of his compositions runs to nearly a thousand works. Admittedly, more than 600 of these are songs, but still, it's a pretty amazing achievement. But is that all that makes Schubert great, that he wrote a lot? To me, there's way more to Schubert than mere numbers of compositions, but to many that might be viewed as his superpower, being able to produce massive amounts of music in a short period of time. What makes Schubert great in my book is the quality and maturity of his music. He was writing music of immense depth and originality in his teens, and in his final years was creating music unlike anyone else at the time. Schubert developed early and developed a vision which enabled him in the last year or so of his life to overcome what was probably his greatest obstacle. He lived at the same time and in the same city as Beethoven. Schubert was a generation younger than Beethoven. He was born in Vienna in 1797, just as the 26-year-old Beethoven was starting to make his mark in the same city as a virtuoso pianist and brilliant, innovative composer. Even though he was often out of step with public taste, Beethoven was the big name in Viennese music in the early 19th century, and Schubert, like most other Viennese musicians, lived in his shadow. Two more different personalities would be hard to imagine, too. Beethoven's rough take-it-or-leave-it approach to his art and to society in general often caused offence, and his deteriorating hearing exacerbated the situation. Schubert, who was clearly in awe of Beethoven, was a gentler, more amiable and certainly more sociable soul. He trained to be a schoolteacher, and despite early forays into writing theatre pieces and orchestral works, showed his true genius initially in the art of Lieder, German language songs for voice and piano. The term comes from the German word Lied, meaning song. Lieder is the plural. In fact, it's in the field of Lieder that Schubert is generally regarded as not only being great, but actually the greatest. Until Schubert, Lieder were regarded as a lightweight art form, intended for private or domestic use, and hardly designed to plumb great emotional depths. There are many examples in the work of mid-to-late 18th-century composers, including Carl Philipp Emanuel Bach, one of the sons of Johann Sebastian, Haydn, and Mozart. But Schubert saw in the form something far deeper. Even in his earliest songs, written when he was just 15, it's clear that he not only had a rare gift for selecting excellent poetry to set to music, but also seemingly unlimited creativity when it came to expressing the poem in musical terms. 
The increased interest in songwriting among German-speaking composers in the late 18th and early 19th centuries coincided with the flowering of German poetry and other literature at the same time. This is the era of Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, just the most famous of the many great writers of the period. Schubert and his contemporaries, such as Karl Löwe, a fine song composer often overshadowed by Schubert, took the powerful new poetry of the age and set it to music more seriously and more powerfully than ever before. What's astonishing about Schubert's songs is that they are so good right from the start. His earliest datable song, Hagar's Klage, Hagar's Lament, was written in March 1811, two months after his 15th birthday, and it requires no excuses for being the work of a teenager. Yes, it might lack the depth and psychological insight of Schubert's later leader, but it's still up there with some of the best songs being written by others in 1811, and it's still performed today. You can't say that about many other works written by 15-year-olds, even Mozart. Even more amazing is the fact of Schubert's age when he wrote some of his darkest and most insightful songs. Earl König, the Earl King, sets a horror story of a poem by Goethe involving the supernatural and the death of an innocent child. Schubert's thunderously powerful setting gives the three different characters in the story completely different types of music, all conveyed, of course, by one singer. And the piano part is terrifying on every level. Yet this masterpiece was written in 1815, when Schubert was just 18. And so obsessed was the composer with it that it exists in not one, but four different versions, all written in close succession in the same year. And perhaps even more amazingly, this song was just one of about 150 songs Schubert wrote in that one year, 1815, alone. According to the work list in Grove Online, Schubert wrote at least 17 songs in the July of that year. On the 7th of July, he wrote four in a single day. And he was writing wonderful song after wonderful song after wonderful song. He wasn't churning out forgettable trash. Schubert's settings use a single singer and a piano to create a dramatic world, setting words in such a way as to illuminate the text, to provide depth and insight for the astute listener, even on some occasions adding layers of meaning which the original poet may not have even considered. Some of Schubert's most famous songs also date from his teens. Another Goethe setting, Gretchen am Spinnrade, Gretchen at the Spinning Wheel, is a description of abandonment and loss bordering on madness, full of the wisdom of years. It was written the year before, in 1814, when Schubert was just 17. The seemingly innocent but deeply disturbing Di Forelle, The Trout, was written when he was 20, and on it goes. Schubert's torrential rate of songwriting slows considerably after 1820, but his later songs show, if anything, an even deeper understanding of the human condition and of how to portray it in music. His shattering song cycle, Winterreise, Winter Journey, dates from 1827, the year before his death, 
while his production of songs continued up to the month before he died, most likely from syphilis, in November 1828. But Schubert's undoubted greatness as a songwriter is only part of the story. Songwriting was a field Beethoven only dabbled in. His natural voice was heard most clearly in orchestral music, piano music, and chamber works. In these three fields, Schubert also excelled. But it must also have been in these genres that the younger men would have felt most intimidated by his older, more famous colleague. What's fascinating about Schubert is that even though he wrote marvellous piano works, orchestral works, and chamber music while Beethoven was still alive, after Beethoven's death in March 1827, Schubert produced not only an astonishing amount of new work, but an astonishing amount of brilliant new work, which was clearly aimed at trumping the Beethoven legacy. In other words, with the greatest composer in the world dead, Schubert now saw himself as the rightful successor to that title and set out to prove it. The tragedy was that he only outlived Beethoven by 20 months. Had he lived another 20 years, who knows what he would have produced? In those 20 months, Schubert wrote some of the greatest masterpieces of their kind. While not primarily remembered as a composer of church music, in the last six months of his life, he produced his sixth and final Mass, the Mass in E-flat, and three other sacred works with orchestra. The Mass is on a huge scale and seems to rise to the challenge of Beethoven's Missa Solemnis. In the field of orchestral music, Schubert's last completed symphony was the so-called Great C Major Symphony. Again, a huge, challenging work, which takes the symphonic form as bequeathed by Beethoven and pushes it in new directions. But tantalizingly, he left unfinished a symphony in D major, not the famous unfinished symphony that dates from a few years earlier. This symphony, again sketched in the last few months of Schubert's life, would have completely revolutionised the symphonic form in a way Beethoven never dreamed of, with a different movement structure and a different treatment of themes. In piano music, we start to get into territory which defies belief. In September of 1828, two months before his death, when he was very seriously ill, yet still working manically, he produced his last three piano sonatas. Three in one month. And these sonatas are again on a scale unprecedented in Schubert's output. Huge. Each is around 40 minutes long. Hugely complex and hugely demanding. Here again, Schubert is tackling Beethoven's late works, which include his last six piano sonatas head on. And Beethoven had used the medium of chamber music for his final utterances as a composer, creating the enormously challenging and otherworldly final five string quartets in the last three years of his life. For his part, Schubert had been writing chamber music since his teens, but in the 20 months following the death of Beethoven, he produced three of his most sublime and again totally unprecedented chamber works, the two great piano trios and the string quintet. All these late works of Schubert still rank today 
as among the greatest musical treasures of European art. They clearly give us a glimpse of the man's undoubted greatness and his supreme ability to not only step out of Beethoven's shadow, but to move beyond him in ways that were totally new. It seems to me that Franz Schubert is one of the first composers, if not the first composer, to create great musical art that is truly of the Romantic era. I know this is something often claimed for Beethoven, and I get why that is, but to me Beethoven paved the way for true early Romantic composers like Schubert, Liszt, Chopin and Schumann. Beethoven was undoubtedly great, as I've discussed in a previous podcast in this series, but his works, however radical and otherworldly they became, are still firmly rooted in the classical tradition. Schubert, especially in the songs and smaller piano works, took a completely different path, and even when he worked in the more classical forms of the piano sonata and chamber music, Schubert manages to imbue the results with a modern air that eludes even late Beethoven. Schubert speaks of himself and his times, even when he takes us into new worlds. So, what works would I recommend to help you get a feel for Schubert's music? That's not easy, as he wrote so much, but here are a few very personal suggestions. In the orchestral works, listen to the Symphony No. 5 in B-flat. This is a gentle gem, a delicate masterpiece which shows how unpretentious Schubert could be, while at the same time taking us on a fascinating musical journey in every movement. And in the chamber works, I can't go past the three works I mentioned from Schubert's final year, the two completed piano trios in B-flat and E-flat, and the magnificent string quintet in C. As for the piano works, by all means listen to any of the last three sonatas, D-958, 959, and 960. But if you're wanting something a little less daunting, yet no less wonderful, I'd suggest the four impromptus, D-935, which are also among his last works. And to finish, I'm left with more than 600 songs to choose from. Really, it's impossible to suggest anything, except maybe to listen to Schubert's first song cycle, Die Schöne Müllerin, The Fair Maid of the Mill. This tells a moving and tragic tale of unrequited love over a series of 20 songs. And if German isn't your language, then make sure you have a translation to follow, so you can hear the brilliant ways in which the composer paints the poetry in the music. Rest assured, as with all these great composers, there's so much music to choose from. I'm sure you won't be disappointed. It's important that I thank Duncan Yardley for the technical production of Classical Uncovered. I'm Graham Abbott. I hope you can join me for more musical explorations soon.